welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome back to the Proper Mental Podcast. Welcome to episode 134 with Susie Redding, who is a chartered psychologist who specializes in well-being, stress management and facilitation of healthy lifestyle change. And Susie is also a yoga teacher, an author of several books and a coach who is recognized as one of the world's leading self-care experts. And in this episode, I chat to Susie about her life experiences of motherhood and becoming a mum that happened at the same time that her dad was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And these two life-changing events happening at the same time really sparked her passion for self-care. We chat about the importance of rest. We chat about some of the reasons why resting and slowing down isn't valued by society. And we look at the language we use to talk about resting and why that's important. Susie also takes me through her eight pillars of rest. We look at those in detail and we look at different ways to rest and how we can start to apply some of these ideas. We chat about setting boundaries, self-compassion, using mantras, switching off, letting go, and why we all need a rest prescription that's based on our own individual needs. The term self-care gets thrown around a lot in the mental health conversation, right? It means different things to different people. It's all a bit of a mess. So it was wonderful to sit down with Susie and really kind of break down this idea of self-care and rest and look at different ways that we can all make it work for us based on what we need in that moment. I love chatting to Susie. You'll be able to hear through the episode how taken with her I was. And this chat, couldn't have come at a better time for me really. You may or may not know that I've recently had a big break off social media. I'm trying to re-evaluate my relationship with with my socials and with this podcast. You know, I had a few weeks from putting regular episodes out. I was burning out a bit. A lot of things I was doing weren't serving me. And in that time off, I really focused on coming back to myself and learning how to rest. I suppose I was looking how to take a proactive approach and work out how to do things a bit differently, right? So to kind of be in this headspace at the moment and chat to Susie about rest and slowing down and self-compassion, it was just wonderful. She was great to chat to. She had loads of ideas. We even try a few bits in the episode and even just chatting to her made me feel replenished and energized. Yeah, she's just a lovely human being and I liked her a lot. She's got loads of books. The one that I read before this was Self-Care for Tough Times. That was great. I highly recommend it. Her latest one is called Rest to Reset, The Busy Person's Guide to Resting with Purpose. That's out now and it's available everywhere. I highly recommend her social media. I followed her for some time. That's kind of where I found out about Susie and her work. And she gives away loads of information and ideas. And uh, it's a really valuable resource, I think. So I'd highly recommend giving her a follow. Everything you need to know about her is on our website. The links are in the episode notes. If you like this episode, if you're on a bit of a wellness kick, you're looking to do things differently and you want to check out some other episodes, there's a few I can recommend. If you go back to episode 56, that's with Nick Littlehales, who's a world-renowned sleep coach who's worked with some of the biggest names in sport. That's all about sleep and getting more of it. 57 with Rachel Philpotts, who's a nutritionist. And we look at food and how food can impact our mental state. Episode 87, Jimmy Whiteman, known on Instagram as That Meditation Guy. And we talk all about, you guessed it, meditation, the good bits, the bad bits, and how we can bring a regular practice into day-to-day life. I've also had, for episode 101, TJ Power, who's a neuroscientist. We talk about all the brain chemicals and all that sort of stuff. 
episode 104, Katie Georgiou. That one's all about stress. And more recently, episode 122 with Joanna Fortune, who is a child and adolescent psychotherapist. And we talk a lot about young people's mental health with that one. All excellent, all kind of tie in with some of the themes that I talk about with Susie in this episode, all worth checking out. Once you've listened to this, and if you do listen to any of them or any other episodes of Proper Mental, do me a solid, leave us a review. iTunes, Spotify, five stars would be great. It makes a huge difference to getting this podcast out, getting into people's ears and making sure people hear it. So every review counts. And I'm always really grateful every time I get one. This is episode 134 with Susie Redding. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Susie Redding. How are you, Maze? I'm good, thank you. Tom and you, how are you today? I'm good. I'm really good, thank you. We were just saying that we've both got the sun shining, right? So uh makes things a lot easier. Um, I think probably the kind of the best best place to start really is is with you and, and what you do, Susie. And I know you do a few different things. Um, how do you describe what you do? Okay, yes, I wear a few different hats. Um, so I'm a chartered psychologist. I'm an author. I'm a yoga teacher. I also spent a decade working as a personal trainer. And all of those modalities draw themselves beautifully together to empower people with nourishing skills and habits. So essentially, um, it's self-care to help people navigate stress, loss, change, practical tools to help people manage their energy, their emotions, and their stress, but I, I want to be totally upfront and preface this entire conversation with an acknowledgement that, you know, qualifications aside, it's it's my own lived experience that makes um, self-care and self-compassion and reclaiming a sense of self, uh, real passions of mine. Um, and it's, yeah, motherhood colliding with the terminal illness of my father that, um, that leads me to this specific way of working. Yeah, sure. So like before that point, um, which mm-hmm. it sounds like it was kind of, um, yeah, brought in a lot of, a lot of change, um, mm-hmm. at that, that point, but before that time, would you, um, have you always like considered yourself kind of like a, I suppose, you know, like, I'm not sure what the word is like a healer or a, a supporter or, you know, with that, that role, mm-hmm. is that, is that like a natural role for you, Susie? I've always wanted to nourish people. Yeah. So that's when I sort of trace back all of those different threads of my career, that's always been the common thread. So I I originally trained as a psychologist, but for a whole host of reasons, actually started out professional life working as a personal trainer in London. And then from there went on to do the yoga teacher training qualifications. But then it was that that life experience um, that, that really took me back to reclaiming my psychological practice. And to be honest with you, people will still get some kind of movement prescription. Every person I work with still gets some kind of breath work, some kind of yoga, but that that's the common thread. Yeah. It's brilliant to be able to, and like tie all these things together, right? Like, um, I mean, all of these things can, can be really positive for us. Of course they can be in isolation, but when we start Mm -hmm. to kind of blur the lines and bring them together, that can be a really, um, like that's where the magic happens, right? It is. It's a little choose your own adventure. You know, some people, they need a safe place to be heard and, and it's it's about giving voice for other people. It's 
I, I, I need something constructive that I can take away and work on. Um, for some people, it's, it, it's, a whole, it's a whole mixture of things. Different people need different things at different moments. So, yeah, I, I, I'll, hand on heart, I'll say it's taken a long time for it to make sense. But I, I love that I can work with people in such a variety of ways. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And you mentioned um, your own experience there, Susie. And how did that sort of come to a head where you needed to reframe and reclaim um, the work that you do? Yeah, so it, it was it was a long drawn out experience with my dad. Um, he had a breathing failure when I was 40 weeks pregnant with my first child. And we rushed him to hospital, the same hospital that I was due to give birth in. And it was seven days of saying last goodbyes to dad before I actually gave birth. And so you can imagine the state I was in before going into labor, you know, the, the best description I can give after that is just a state of complete energetic bankruptcy. And, and my dad actually survived for 15 months. So it was a really long drawn out period of, of, of stress and you know, uncertainty because there was never a diagnosis in his lifetime. So that was a tough chapter of squeeze. And I think what I learned in that chapter, you know, I had a very healthy relationship with self-care. I didn't feel, you know, and, and I had a really healthy toolkit, but I think this is, this is something that is, is broadly relevant in that when we need it the most, that's when quite often the things that we would normally do to, to nourish ourselves become inaccessible because we don't have the same time, the same energy, the same funds, the same freedom. And also in that state of squeeze, we don't have the headspace, the creativity and resourcefulness to come up with alternatives. So it's, it's really tricky. We know we need to nourish ourselves, but it can be so hard to find ways of doing it. And that's, that's why I've written so extensively on the topic, you know, making it accessible for different people or, or people in different mood states or, or, or with different time capacities. Um, bringing practical tools when we need it the most. Yeah, sure. There's a certain irony, isn't it? That like when we need these practices the most tends to be when we don't do them, you know, that mm -hmm. does tend to be how it works, right? Um, yeah. We, we put ourselves last, particularly if we've got other people to look after, we've got other stuff going on and you want to give mm -hmm. all of yourself. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, and the stuff that puts you in the best position to do that, that's the stuff we put down, right? Totally. I think, I think everyone is nodding in agreement. Yeah, I think it's, it's, <laughs> It's tricky at the best of times to prioritize ourselves, but during the midst of tough times, it, it can feel impossible and, and not okay to. And, and this is, this is the, the, the narrative that I'm hoping we can really challenge today because yeah. from my experience, pretty, pretty hard and fast, I learned that my depletion served absolutely no one and my replenishment benefited every single person my life touched whether not just nearest and dearest but you know even incidental connection you know it, it this is the stuff that gives us access to to a version of ourselves that we can take pride in yeah the yeah. world needs compassionate well-resourced people to be able to cope with life in its full glory Oh, amazing. It really does. Yeah, it really does. Do you think like one of the reasons maybe we struggle with that is because rest can be quite difficult to kind of mm -hmm. define, right? Like we have a very yeah. like almost one dimensional view of what rest means with the people that you work with. How do you define it when you start to kind of like break down some of the other 
rest-based options available to us? I'm so glad you asked me that question, Tom. I love, I love debunking the myths about rest. I think we sort of associate rest with lying down in stillness on your own, doing nothing or some kind of scrolling, right? This is kind of synonymous with rest. I want to turn that on its head. You know, rest can be joyful movement. It can be a gently stretchy mental challenge. It can be social connection. It can be a creative pursuit. You know, it's it's whatever you need to bring you back to balance. That comes back to this whole notion of what is restorative. It's anything that brings you back to balance, back to a state of harmony, back to hopefully a state of peacefulness. And that's why different things resonate for different people and our own needs are constantly changing. So if we can check in and say, where am I at? What do I need? What will bring me back to balance? That's rest. Yeah, that makes so much sense, right? To kind of really... Um, yeah, to kind of analyze what you need in that moment. And I was kind of thinking about it in context of my life and probably loads of people have the same thing where you've been, you know, you had a period at work and you think, you know what, I'm really ready for my day off. And then you have your day off. And at the end of your day off, you feel like shit. And you feel like, why? I've just had a day off, right? But if you're not resting in a way that's going to serve you the best, well, then you're not going to get those replenishing benefits of having that time away from work or away from family or whatever it is that that we need that rest from, eh? We do. I think we need, we need variety. Yeah. And sometimes that's going to be an absence of stimulation. Sometimes it's going to be stimulation of our choosing. Sometimes it's going to be movement. Sometimes it's going to be stillness. Sometimes it's going to be solitude. Sometimes it's going to be connection. We need, it, it's like a, a, an individual prescription. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah and I love, and I love we've got to term. check in daily. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've heard you use that, that term before, uh, prescription, individual prescription. I really like that, that approach mm-hmm. to it. Um, there's an incredible resource on your website that um, I've been reading and that's the, um, the download about the, the eight pillars of rest. And that kind of sounds like we're going in, in that direction now, Susie, but could we could, uh, explore that a little bit? Is that okay? Totally. Yes. So I think it's helpful to identify that rest is something that brings us back to balance, but that in itself is probably not enough to give us an indication of what we need. Yeah, and I think unless we're really skilled in checking in, 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 in being really mindful, it can be hard to know what we need. So that's why I wanted to come up with the eight pillars to give people a definitive sense of awareness of, okay, that's what I need. And, 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 and the eight pillars came about because I was researching different categories of rest. And if anyone's plugged that into Google, you will have come up with um, categories like physical rest, mental rest, spiritual, emotional, uh, social. But that in itself doesn't really give you a clue as to what you need. So is physical rest, is that having a stretch? Is it lying down, doing nothing like a shavasana? Or is it movement? Like, what do you need? It, It doesn't kind of give you the clue. So that's why I created the eight pillars of rest. And the eight pillars are there to help you get a sense of direction. So they're not, it's not like, let me take you through the, can we go through each yes, of the eight? Yes, please. Is yeah, that that'd okay? be wonderful. Yeah. Right. So first one up is movement or stillness. So we can ask ourselves questions like how much have we moved today? If we've been moving, what kind of movement has it been? Is it sort of vigorous and upbeat or is it slow and gentle? Or if you've been still, Have you been sitting or have you been standing? 
And that will give you a clue as to how you can use movement or stillness to bring you back to balance. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do we need stimulation or do we need a break from stimulation? So we, if you think about how you've used your senses, whether there's been a lot of screen time, do your eyes or your ears need a break? Um, do you want just a different kind of stimulation? So if you've been in lots of conversation, maybe you just want to listen to music or actually maybe you'd like a little bit of silence. Um, if you've been inside, maybe you need a dose of nature therapy to bring you back to balance. Then the third pillar is looking at energy. And I think this is a really interesting one because quite often we think about rest as letting go, lying down, recharging. Yeah. But sometimes we've actually got an excess energy, like there's maybe a sense of jitteriness. And actually, for people who are in that state of maybe anxiety or high alert if you were to say we'll just lie down it, it's 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 confronting right it can be really hard to just relax in stillness so this is sort of identifying that sometimes we need a little bit of a dissipation of energy it's not always about recharging sometimes it is yes we might need an energy boost but the question is do we actually need to release to cultivate a sense of peace yeah um that one, um, that one really jumped out. I actually wrote that one down in my notes and it was particularly yeah. the word um, jittery and the need to let go. And I was like, oh, I know that. I know what Susie means when she says that. And yeah, we have to kind of move that on before yes. we can then do the, do that other yes. thing. It's kind of like that. Um, I don't know. I like to think of it as like, sometimes I feel tired and wired and it's like, yes. I'm, na I'm knackered, but I still yeah. have this, this horrible energy I need to shift. And that totally. really stood out to me. We, we need, we actually need something as a gateway. Should, let, should we do an experiment, Tom? Oh, mate, For anyone yeah, that's to. not quite sure what we're talking about, let's do an experiment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. That'd be great. So I invite everyone, let's just, just relax your shoulders. Just let your shoulders drop away from your ears. Feel a sense of buoyancy of your head. Allow your neck to be long. And just notice, now I'm hoping that we've been able to release a little, yeah? But think of this as your baseline. Compare how you feel right now to how you feel after this little intervention, okay? Try this. Can you now squeeze your shoulders up to your ears? Yeah, take a deep breath in, and as you exhale with a sigh, let your shoulders drop. <sighs> and let's do that twice more, because I'm hoping it felt really good. And with a sigh, <sighs> flop and drop your shoulders once more. <laughs> can you feel the difference now i really yeah can. yeah we have just yeah. reclaimed the neck <laughs> right yeah my shoulders yeah. feel lower that's where right. yeah, they feel like so instead of saying to ourselves ah oh, just relax in stillness let go it's really hard we actually need some kind of gentle movement or a little bit of gentle exertion or sometimes some kind of touch or massage as the gateway to letting go so that one's called the shrug and sigh. So for anyone that's feeling a sense of jittery energy, I need to move through that. There's there's a practice right there. Oh, mate, that's brilliant. Thank you so yeah. much for that. That's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Okay, so we've done three pillars. We've got five to go. Right, the next one, we've touched on this already. Do we need solitude or would we prefer the company of others? And I think it's important to flag here that sometimes you know, it's the nature of how we connect too. So if we've spent all day 
in Zoom conversations, or maybe we want to go for a walk with a friend and be side by side. I will just sit on the sofa and hold hands. Or maybe it's just we fancy stroking the cat. Yeah. Or maybe we just need a good dose of being on my own. Thanks very much. And that's okay. Yeah. Different things in different moments. Um, next one is, is looking at the kind of focus, how we've used our mind. Have we been engaged in um, focus or do we fancy more of a sort of a free wandering mind um, and I think this can be really important for people who are for example teachers who are guiding others all day every day in their downtime they might want somebody else to make the decisions for once yeah so it's like permission to choose do I want to engage in something that's um, you know maybe I want to do a wordle or actually would I prefer to just kind of have a brain fade and enjoy an episode of Ted Lasso you know yeah, yeah that's it isn't it something my therapist has talked to me about is um rather than mindfulness is to practice mindlessness you know Love and it. just to have a just to have that empty space and i found that incredibly yeah. useful you know i'd sort of turn you know that whole like um mindful practice of stepping back and, and looking at your thought i'd turn that into a job you know that would be a to-do list for me so this whole idea yes. of just trying to be mindless and just just let it just drift i've i've found that incredibly a uh, little you switch to flick almost to try and approach some of those things differently i think that's really insightful tom you know there there is a time for nutting things out decision making problem solving and i think we live in a world that encourages us to sort of there's a sense of like you must think your way out of it yeah there's also a time for just daydreaming you know, that sense of let it wash over you. Too much of one actually isn't helpful. We need a little yeah. bit of both. Oh, yeah. very much so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, mate, I interrterrupted you then, Susie. Where are we no, up to? No, you didn't Which at pill? all. I love Which that. Pill? I'm really, I'm, I think that that really resonates. I oh, think that's super. really important insight. So we've got three more. The next one is looking at emotions. Um, the question here is, have we given ourselves an opportunity to express our emotions? But equally, if we've been doing a lot of big feeling, we might want to take a break from our emotions and knowing that it's okay to give our attention to something else. I think that can be really helpful, bearing in mind that please can we choose a life-giving distraction, you know, rather than something that just sort of numbs us out, you know, something that depletes us further. So that's what I spend the rest of the book talking about, what it is that we can do to give ourselves a break from feeling or, or what we can actually do to help us move through our emotions in a safe and healthy way. Two more, two more pillars. Fantastic. Um, I'm hoping this is striking a chord. It really Last is, yeah. Two, we're looking at, do, do we want comfort and ease or would we rather some kind of stretchy challenge, which again really challenges our perceptions of rest being this passive flop and drop stuff which it can be but sometimes it's going to be um a creative pursuit you know some kind of gently stretchy challenge that that feels stimulating if your day's been really monotonous actually maybe cooking something you might feel invigorating so it's it's just challenging challenging these associations with rest and then the last one this is super important um, especially for anyone in a nurturing, caregiving role, educators, healthcare professionals, and it is bringing to balance giving 
and receiving. That's an important part of our rest as well. Yeah, very much. So that's the other one I wrote down. I wrote down three and eight and um, they both kind of leapt off the the page at me when I was reading. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've never really thought about that. You know, like my other work alongside this, I work, I'm like a physical therapist. I work in rehab, pain management, stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I spend a lot of time essentially like giving and listening, you know, and um, yeah, it was really interesting to me to like, hang on, I need to, I need to balance that out. I'd never really thought of you know, of directly combating that. And that was really yeah. interesting to me. But yeah, of course, if we're doing so much of one thing, well, then it's it's almost like ratio, right? We've got to do a bit of the yes. other to, to meet in the middle. Yes. I'm glad you used that word. I think that's a really useful one because it's, it's not like, you know, if you've sat for five hours, you need to then move for five hours. It's It's not like for life, but it's just thinking of these things as these are the variables. These are the ingredients in our mix of rest and then and you you pick and choose and I hope that gives people a sense of um empowerment you know a sense of direction as to okay that's what I can do to bring myself back to balance yeah sure it's the it's the word choose you know the idea of choice that really stood out to me when you were going through those you know and particularly around the the emotions because there's a there's a difference between avoiding your emotions because it's your default setting or yep. choosing to avoid them because now's not a great time and you'll kind of yes. get back to them later sort of thing, right? That's it. It's, it's sometimes we just need to give ourselves a break. You know, for anyone in the midst of a grief journey, it is perfectly okay to say, I'm just going to give myself a little window of grace because we, you, you don't want to feel like you're at the ransom of, of your emotions all day, every day. But equally, if we're, we're pushing them down, saying we mustn't feel this, we can't feel this, this is not a good time, that's not going to serve us either, but we, we need a little bit of both, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And having that, yeah, that choice is really empowering, you know, yes. to sort of, you know, I, I, I don't know, I am going to pick my phone up and I'm going to sit on there for 20 minutes because I just need, need that 20 minutes. But at the end of 20 minutes, I'm going to put it down rather than just finding myself on there, like all the time, mindlessly scrolling and distracting and avoiding. Yes. I think that speaks rings you know what you're talking about there is this is about our boundaries with ourselves yeah it's been clear on what we need in our relationship with ourselves to feel safe and healthy and well resourced which again it sort of it comes back to our perception of rest as being something or I've got to earn it um I'll do it once I've taken care of everything else or once I've completed the to-do list which honestly that day is never going to happen there's always going to be another bloody school whatsapp there's always going to be another meal to make another load of washing to do like can we view rest as the thing that sustains us the thing that we do proactively to resource us to be able to meet all of the needs that we face in our day yeah, I suppose if we put a bit more value in it, right? Because you mentioned like household jobs there, like doing the the washing, and um, you know, we're all the same. As soon as you do one load of washing, well, the next one needs doing. You know, like uh, my kitchen is always like a laundry shop; it just never stops. And it's so easy to say, "Ah, oh, I'll have some time for me when I put the wash away." But if the wash is always going to be another one, it might as well be the same one, right? So yeah. you might as well like push it a bit further down the priorities because it's you're never going to get to the end of that that basket, eh? It's so true. It's so true. And it's, you know, when you think about it, it's not nourishing yourself is not a distraction from other more important things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the sustenance that you need to be able to pitch up with the kind of focus that you, you want. It'll give you clarity. It'll give you uh, 
creativity. It helps you tap into greater empathy and compassion. Yeah, so it's certainly not a waste of time. It's, you know, it's this, I, I just think it is, this, this is how we pace ourselves compassionately. Yeah. What, why don't you, do you think, Susie, that we, as a society, right, if I'm talking in general terms, why do we place so little value on looking after ourselves and being kinder? Is that like, you know, is that capitalism and all that sort of? Uh... Oh, yeah. Oh, God, there are so many voices in there. Like when you look at it, um, rest is maligned because sloth is seen as one of the seven deadly sins. But it's it's like it's even more ancient than that we are a social animal we rely on each other certainly historically we we relied on each other for collective survival so you can see how appearing idle would have been deeply undesirable you've got to pitch in but we've taken it so far down the line where now productivity is conflated with self-worth and we've got these toxic slogans of you snooze you lose and it's it's so unhealthy and it's fueled by consumerism literally poking at all our insecurities and the fact that now you don't only look and see that your neighbor's grass is greener now you get to see their gorgeous interiors and we've got all the experts showing us how to do the perfect yoga pose cook the perfect meal be our you know therapist for our kids oh my god like this relentless pursuit for self-improvement is absolutely exhausting and then we're told also I mean you look at the kind of messaging that we receive a, a good baby is one that sleeps yeah they don't trouble their parents they're a good child as if somehow having a human need is inconvenient uh, yeah, and, and then we raise children who don't talk back to adults. And then when you look at parenthood, you must be selfless. Oh, my God, it's a recipe for burnout, overwhelm, resentment, rage. There's nothing wrong with us having human needs and meeting them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a lot, right? It's almost like, it's I don't know, we've got, we've got to go against almost like our programming, right? Our societal programming. Yeah. 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 Let's be clear, the opposite of selfless isn't selfish, it's boundaried. Yeah, that's a lovely way to to look at it. But boundaries is on my list of things to ask you about mm-hmm. as well, Susie, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we've used that word. But um, mm-hmm. actually, when you mentioned it before, you were talking about our boundaries with ourselves. And I've never thought about that. I've always kind of thought about my boundaries in relation to other people and yeah. to my work and things like that, but to, to ourselves. But boundaries, again, we kind of struggle with that, right? We kind of, uh, and I think a little of that, certainly from my own experience in the past would be to kind of not have a full understanding of what healthy boundaries mean. So I went from saying yes to everything to saying no to everything. And then like either way, I'm unhappy. Right. But um, it's not, it's definitely not as clear as cut as that when we start to bring boundaries into our life, is it? It's complex. And and I'll, I'll put my hand up. This, this certainly wasn't modeled for me growing up. I don't think it was modeled for most of us, but clarity on, on boundaries, essentially it's, it's, what do we need to feel safe and healthy in relationship with this other person? What kind of behavior is okay? What's not okay? And we, we've got to actually articulate these things. Yeah. We've got to have these 
conversations as difficult as they are, we need to be able to say, I'll give you a practical example. It's okay to tell your friends, I'm really sorry, I can't listen to a five minute WhatsApp voice message. I don't have the capacity for that. If there's something that you need, please, can you pop it in a text? Because that's the way that works for me. Yeah. And then there's a negotiation, right? Just because that's what I want doesn't necessarily mean that that's what works for them. So it's kind of like, there's a dialogue. Let's work out what works for both of us. But there's no point in me saying in my head when I get this five minute voicemail thinking, ah, if I don't say anything out loud, I'm, I'm not shaping and I'm, I'm not giving, I'm, I'm not honoring my boundaries. I'm not, you have to articulate them to then be able to honor them. But then there is a negotiation that, that, that comes into play. Yeah. That's the interesting bit, right? The negotiation, because it's like, you know, that bit's pretty easy if you're talking to someone that you can speak very openly with, or if you're yeah. both at sort of equal levels of emotional intelligence, right? But yes. if you have to draw that line with maybe someone that you know at first is not going to take mm-hmm. it in the way that it is meant, you know, and not going to see the, the you know, the self-compassion, the reasons why you're doing it, that's when it gets tricky, right? When you kind of you start does. to overthink the response you're going to get to drawing a healthy yes. boundary for yourself. Yes, I think if we can frame this as I'm making a polite request for, I'm not making a complaint. As soon as we make a complaint, people get defensive. But it's like, let's have a dialogue around what will work best for both of us. Can we find some common ground here? Yeah. Yeah? But it's tricky. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's necessary. This is what we need for healthy connection, authentic connection. And when it comes to our boundaries with ourselves, it's being clear on this is the kind of relationship that I want to have with myself. These are the kind of healthy behaviours that I need to commit to, to actually be this incarnation of myself that I aspire to be. And we need to get really granular with that. What does it actually look like? What's the scaffolding that I need in my life to be able to, to, to show up as I aspire to? How much sleep do I need to get? How do I need to nourish myself with my food, my hydration? What kind of movement do I need? How do I need to rest and restore what kind of creative pursuits are necessary for me to feel alive yeah and it's amazing how much if we don't get kind of um actually take that time to really investigate it's amazing how on autopilot we are right and we just do things because we've always done them and we never really stop to think and it's only when you like sit down and really investigate that you go hang on why do i do this this doesn't serve me serve me at all but then if i even though I know it doesn't serve me, if we don't make a conscious effort, you just slide back to it, even if you've already that's, identified it, right? It's so it's so tricky to do absolutely. that. It, that's really interesting. I, I've been I've been looking at the theme of loneliness this week on, on my social media. And I think quite often we associate loneliness with missing other people. But what's come to light from the conversations that I've had is that so often we feel lonely because we're disconnected with ourselves. We're so used to meeting the needs of other people, pleasing this person, you know, doing that thing because that's what that person wants to do. But we, we forget. We, we lose touch. And actually, life can feel really hollow when we're operating from this place of, you know, uh, reactiveness, even when it's well-intentioned. So it comes back to that notion of selflessness really I don't think it's this virtue as much as we all think of it. I really would encourage people to know yourself, honour yourself, because when we've done that, that's what allows us 
to 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 one be energetic and 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 able to connect with others on a really authentic meaningful level yeah the authenticity is something that comes up on this podcast so many times as like involved in the 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 sort of the mess of mental ill health you know and i know it's certainly something from I, how I describe myself, I said I put on so many masks, I forgot what the actual face was underneath, right? And you just, when you lose that connection with yourself, you make choices based on things that don't align with your values and you, they, they're small things, but over time they add up, don't they? And they mm-hmm. you, they take you so far away from um, from where you should be. And it's, it's no wonder people start feeling bad and their mental health suffers and they start becoming unwell but that idea of yeah connecting with yourself and kind of figuring out you know who actually am i and why am i doing this stuff you know do i need to be do i want to be you know it's um yeah it's really important eh? it really is absolutely yeah just bringing hands to heart checking in where am i at what do i need what matters to me and you know what can i do something about I think we live in a world where we're so we're so privy to to other people's struggles, and it's it can be really overwhelming, kind of you know. And I think we 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 want to be aware. We we don't want to just you know hide away from it, but we've we've got to come back to what can I do something about? And there are so many opportunities. Yeah, it's the simple stuff. It's you know whoever's serving you at the checkout, give them eye contact, use their name. Just communicate care. It can be a single nod to someone else on the pavement, right? This is, there are so many things that we can do to feel embedded in that sense of we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, that's incredibly yeah. healing, right? It's being part of a, a being, feeling like you're part of a community. And it doesn't have to, like you say, it doesn't have to be big things, just those little connections, nodding at the barista who serves you coffee every morning or the guy who walks his dog who walks past your house when you're leaving for work. Those little things are, they're surprisingly important, aren't they? Yeah. And, 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 and really nourishing, really sustaining. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you as well, Susie, about the kind of the language we use when we talk about rest, because we kind of, because we do, you know, sometimes see it as a negative and we're not very good at prioritizing like we've talked about, but it's a lot of, um, and I'll use another example of me. I'm trying not to talk about myself too much, but um, something that was pointed out to me in therapy. So a lot of my safety behaviors involve like working really hard and not being particularly productive. Right. And mm-hmm. something that was pointed out to me is that when I talk about having any time off, I'd say, oh, I'm going to have like a lazy day on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. it was pointed out to me like, oh, it's, you know, why do you say it's lazy? There's so many negative conversations about um, you know, about the word lazy, you're not being lazy, you're resting so you can come back better. And that's really got me thinking about how we, how we talk about rest, but we do see it. We almost apologize to it just this morning. I said to someone I was working with, I said, what are you up to later today? And she said, oh, isn't it bad? I'm going back to bed. And I was like, it's not bad at all. You clearly need, you clearly need a rest, but the the words we use are really important with this stuff, aren't they? They are. Absolutely. I think one of my favorite mantras is I'm not doing nothing. I am resting. <laughs> Just remind yourself, right? Yeah, it's not nothing. It could be the most deeply purposeful, productive thing possible. And I think for anyone that's struggling with that, the question is, what does rest facilitate? Yeah, what, what is that restorative practice giving you? Now, for some people, it's going to be you know, healing from an injury. 
It's going to be recovery from an illness. It's going to be topping up their energy bank so that they're avoiding burnout. Or maybe it's processing their emotions so that they can, they can heal. Yeah. What the hell is lazy about that? And for anyone that's attempted to create a restorative habit, like a daily meditation practice or a daily yoga practice, how bloody impossible is it to do it? How can it be lazy? It takes the most incredible grit, determination, persistence. I tell you what, it is so much easier to just keep working. Yeah. That is actually the lazier option quite often. Yeah. It, it really does take diligence to create a restorative habit. So I'm hoping there are some little, you know, perspective shifts in there that might help people feel differently about it. And if you don't, if the word rest is just too laden with negative connotations, let's call it rejuvenation. Do we have a problem with rejuvenation? I don't think so. What about replenishment, nourishment, sustenance? Yeah, call it something else. Yeah. And they're such lovely words, aren't they? They just okay. feel nice. Yeah. Yeah. When you say them. Yeah. And you mentioned um, mantras there before, Susie. And I know that's something that I've seen you post around on your socials a lot as well. Um, how, how do you describe, how would you describe a mantra? Because I think a lot of people hear that word and then they go, oh, like that's some hippie stuff and just check okay. out. But it's a, it can be a really useful um, practice, can't it? Totally. Let me tell you the reason why I recommend them first. And then let's have a look at some tangible examples. Now, invariably, just about everyone that I meet in my consulting room will say to me at some point, I don't want to think this thing. I don't want to feel this thing. I wish I could just clear my mind kind of thing. Yeah. Now, unless we're going to go and meditate in some Himalayan cave for a decade, when was the last time you were able to clear your mind, you know, for more than one or two seconds? It's just not possible. The fact is the brain is designed to think just as our eyes are designed to see. Yeah, we don't get upset with our eyes for seeing unpleasant things. They just do. Your, your brain is going to think helpful thoughts, constructive thoughts, shitty thoughts, yeah? So let's stop trying to clear the mind. What works more effectively than attempting to stop thinking or to eradicate a particular thought, which in my experience tends to make that thought a lot more tenacious, yeah. Okay. Let's just give the mind something constructive or at best neutral to anchor on. And that's how I, why you use a mantra or an affirmation. So it could be something along the lines of an I am statement that taps into some kind of quality that I want to invoke in my day. It could be, I am calm. Even if I am not calm, repeating, I am calm to myself will be more soothing than me trash talking myself or thinking about my to-do list, right? So it's just a way of giving your mind something helpful to anchor on. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose if you say something enough times, you can start to feel like it's true as well. Like remind yourself that. You yes. Know. Now, if you want to make a mantra even more potent, rather than just reciting the words, get your body involved. Yeah. So if we involve some kind of movement, if we become aware of our posture, if we get the breath involved, maybe if we use touch. So should we, should we try one? Yeah. 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 Okay. So we need to free up our hands for this. Let's rub the hands together, create some warmth. 
And then we are going to cradle our chin in our hands, okay? So feel that sensation of your hands gently cradling your face. And just notice how pleasant that feels. Take a couple of relaxed breaths. And with this gesture, we are reminding ourselves that we are deserving of tenderness. So the mantra would be, I am deserving of tenderness. Yeah, maybe we can remind ourselves that we can be our own calm, safe place. And then release the hands. Yeah? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. More powerful. Get as yeah. many of the senses involved as possible. So it's not just this sort of like mindless reciting of a phrase. You're actually imbuing it with meaning. Yeah, with these tender, loving actions. And I think this can be really important for people who feel, I don't deserve this stuff. And people feel like I must be loving towards myself or feel deserving of love before I can do these things. If you do this practice, it cultivates the feeling of worth. It cultivates yeah. a feeling of being loving and tender with ourselves. Oh, mate, that really did feel yeah. lovely. Uh, you know what kind of like came up for me then was um, like if my, my I've got two small children and if my kids have had like a little scrape in the park or something, that's often what you do to your kids, right? You put your your hands gently on their, on their yeah. cheeks because that's a, to comfort them or to connect with them when they're upset. And I was thinking, God, we could exactly. all do with that a bit. Why do we stop doing that to ourselves when we're adults? Why do we, oh. like it works so well on, on little ones, doesn't it? And then we get it to a, a certain point and we just like, we don't want it anymore. But like, it's that felt like it still works to me. That was lovely. Do you know, I don't know whether it's we don't want it anymore or whether we've just absorbed this message that for us to step up, we've got to be tough on ourselves. Like if you make an error, you must get punitive. When Do you know what? The research very, very clearly shows that self-forgiveness, self-compassion, tenderness is actually the thing that helps us make better decisions more often. Yeah? So I actually think we still, we still have that inner four-year-old that just wants the comfort. And I think let's give it to ourselves, yeah? yeah? This punitive, judgmental, harsh, critical relationship with ourselves, it, it doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve anyone, yeah? So how would you, how would you treat a little puppy? How would you treat a kitten? How, we, how do you want your child to be treated? Please, can we extend the same kindness and tenderness to ourselves? Yeah, it is like at some point we just kind of, yeah, turn on ourselves a little bit. And we're so harsh, aren't we? We expect yeah. so, so much. And um, yeah. Oh, mate, I love that. That really kind of, uh, that's really got me thinking, Susie. That's great. Amazing. And um, I wanted to like kind of put this in a bit of a, a real world context, I suppose. Right. And as we're recording this, we're sort of just out the back of mental health awareness week. And I know like from your socials and because we swapped a couple of emails that that was a particularly busy time for you. So if you've got this week coming up where you'll know that you're going to be having to do a bit more, what sort of things do you put in place before, during, and after this period to kind of make sure that you can maintain, you know, practice what you preach, so to speak? That's such a great question. Okay. So in my diary, I knew that last week was going to be super busy. I deliberately 
tried to keep the week before and the week after a little sparser so there was breathing space either side. And I also gave myself permission to totally cull non-negotiables in that week. So ordinarily would I, where I would say, yeah, sure, I, I can offer that you know, comment to a journalist or I could take that phone call, I could do that. Com- no, it was, these are the boundaries. I knew that I needed, this was a, to, to be able to meet what was required of me. I had to give myself permission to actually do things differently in that week. I also made sure that I had an early night as much as possible every night last week and there needed to be windows of time where I had an opportunity to decompress. So, and and that for me is, I tend to alternate between going for a walk in nature's beauty um, or doing some kind of like guided relaxation, but I need a little bit of both. Yeah, so every day there was still something like that. Um, and then it was just all the kind coaxing words. Yeah, that, that every day. It's so, so essential. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be this big thing, does it? Like to get, because the reality of life is we're going to have busy weeks at work. We're going to have weeks where the kids don't sleep and they're driving us mad. We're going to have all this stuff, right? Yep. So, you know, it doesn't, uh, they can be those little small things and being proactive, I think, is what sort of jumped out with me from that. Yes. Yeah, totally. Being, being responsive, being flexible. This, I think that's the thing with boundaries. We think to ourselves, oh, I've got to look this certain way. If I haven't got the time to this all or nothing mentality. But if I can't go for that run, then going for a five minute walk is pointless. It swings and roundabouts, but there has to be room for wiggle. And there will be weeks where we can't take care of ourselves as we'd like to, but that's where we need the okay, we've got plan B. We can do this instead. Yeah. 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 Making time to, to look after ourselves. And I know a lot of um, of your work as well focuses on, um, you know, self-care and that's kind of, that term's been kind of, I'm going to say hijacked a little bit yeah. by the wellness industry. Right. And we think that the wellness industry, uh, just because it's about wellness that they're not trying to take our money, same as all the other industries, but, um, um, self-care is, I suppose we've talked about it, you know, I think we've already answered this question really, but like self-care doesn't have to look like what we're told it looks like, as it? It can be uh, smaller gestures and, and different things. Yeah. I think of self-care as it's the scaffolding in my day that I need to be able to function. That certainly needn't be an expensive product. It's not going to be an expensive service necessarily. I mean, having said that, I love to go and see my osteopath every so often. This is not just about you must do everything yourself. We need to receive care, yeah? We, we need to be embedded in a, in a web of love and support around us, and it's plugging into that. But absolutely, you know, it, it's being sold to us, isn't it? So I understand that resistance. But again, you know what? If the concept or, or, the, or the phrase self-care doesn't resonate, call it something else call it nourishment. Yeah. Call it a healthy habit. You know, this is, this is it. You know, I, I could choose to, you know, numb myself and watch a whole bunch of Netflix programs and get a late night and then wonder why I feel, you know, a malaise the next day, or I can just <laughs> come, come back to these boundaries with self and make sure that I am nurturing myself in this moment, but I'm also making tomorrow easier. Yeah. That's, that's essentially what self-care is. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I suppose, you know, you mentioned before about having these, these behaviors, these practices modeled. And if we're going to try and do something about the societal voice that, you know, tells us about rest and how it's no good. And we've got to be, you know, no one cares, work harder and all that sort of gogging stuff. Um, well, if we're being better at ourselves and we're modeling that to our children, well, that's how we turn that around, right? That's how we sort of flip the switch. Totally. Wouldn't it be amazing if our children never questioned whether it was okay to nourish themselves, whether it was okay to rest? And if for them to, to, to have that perception, we've got to show them how to do it. Yeah, we've got to invite them to enjoy these practices with us. You know, we don't sit down with our kids at the dinner table and give them one meal and us, you know, eat rubbish and expect them to just eat healthily. You've got to show them. So let's show our children restorative practices. Let's, and it's okay to be learning at the same time. Yeah, a lot of what we've talked about today, people might be thinking, oh God, I, but I don't know how to move through my emotions in a safe and healthy way. Do you know what? We can learn at the same time as our kids. We can be beginners together. Yeah, yeah. I, I found with a lot of uh, the emotional stuff, I got much better at it once I started watching my kids, you know, and I they taught that. me much more about understanding my emotions than I was able to read when I was reading every book on the Amazon top 20 self-help books, right? And yeah. you kind of watch how they how they process and how they yeah. react and respond. And um, it's kind of, it's all there for us, right? It's all there for That's us. That's giving me goosebumps, Tom. You know, um, I reckon, like, can we, can we be co-creators with our kids? I, I'm often surprised by the conversations that I have with my children where they'll, we talk about this particular thing and it's like, well, they'll offer up something. It's not always for us to go, you must do this. It's like, well, let's, let's, let's brainstorm together, get our kids involved and, and yeah, learn and grow together. Yeah. 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 So a lovely, um, a lovely sentiment. Yeah. Oh, mate, teachers, I, aren't they? <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. Mate, I've enjoyed chatting today immensely. I could keep going all day, but I'm conscious of your time, Susie, but it's been such a pleasure to chat and, um, yeah, it felt like quite a restful experience in itself for me. So thank you so much for your time today, mate. I really appreciate it. Such a pleasure, Tom. That's music to my ears. Thank you for filling my cup. Oh, thank you. Big up to that proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>